Welcome to the Franchise Show 247 podcast, the home of franchising news and advice. Listen as we chat to industry leaders about the topics that are facing franchisees today and discover more about the world of franchising. So welcome to Franchise Show 247. I'm Katie Bateman and today on my coffee chat I'm joined with Stephen from Darwin Gray. So how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Katie, and you? Yes, I'm very well. I can't believe it's Wednesday. Um, the week seems to fly by and uh, and I just keep catching up. I mean, it's February already as well. Where did January go? <laughs> I don't know, it went luckily, so we're all happy about that. Yeah, well, yeah, January is not a, a, a bit of a depressing month, but um, yeah, I am kind of glad that it went quickly as well, but uh, I just can't keep up with everything at the moment. So incredibly, incredibly busy, but incredibly good on the Franchise Show 247 community platform. Um, so I uh, wanted to chat with you today. Um, and obviously we've got our listeners as well, um, just about the, you know, the legal requirements and the processes into how to, you know, what you need to consider, what you need to do in order to start up your franchise um, and get it on, on, the, on the right path, basically. Yeah, so the first thing we really get involved with uh, from a legal perspective with franchise clients is the franchise agreement. So the franchise agreement is the kind of fundamental legal document that exists between franchisor and franchisees, which sets out all the detail of the relationship. It's not the only document, but from a legal perspective, it's the key document. So you will have your operations manual, which from a day-to-day -day perspective is, is the important document, because that's the thing that will tell you how to run the business. But that's really a sort of an operational thing. And that's a living document that will be updated from time to time. But the legal agreement is the franchise agreement, and that's the one that we get involved with. It's, it's quite a big agreement, normally runs to about 50 pages. And the one thing about franchise agreements is they do follow generally a fairly similar format, which is quite good news if you're buying a franchise, because if you then go to a franchise lawyer, which we'd always suggest people do, they will be sort of familiar with how it's going to look. So that does keep cost out of it in terms of advising on it. But from a franchisor's perspective, you need to go to a franchise lawyer People sometimes download these things off the internet and fill the blanks in, but that is literally uh, a hostage to fortune. It's a road to nowhere because all that's going to happen is that when you get to a point when you want to rely on it, uh, number one, it might not have the things in there that it should do. And number two, it doesn't. You've only got yourself to blame. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is you need to find a franchise lawyer, not a general lawyer, because a general lawyer won't understand the commercial aspects of the business and how they weave into the agreement. Because... To effectively draft a franchise agreement, you really need to understand franchising because there are a lot of there are a lot of sort of parts of the agreement where you can have variations in terms of what you put in as options. So unless you understand how franchising works, you might pick the wrong one or what have you. So we always say go to a franchise lawyer, somebody who's experienced, and get a price from them. And the prices do range. I mean, you know, we charge um at what we consider to be a fair fee but there are people out there charging quite a lot so it's worth shopping around mm -hmm. it's worth getting a few quotes you don't have to necessarily go to lawyers in your area obviously with the benefit of um commodity communications and zoom and all the rest of it you know you can go to a franchise lawyer that's in the end of the country and they will be able to help you so do shop around but it's really important to get that document right and I think also what's important as a franchisor is that you understand the document and you read it 
very easy in franchising, particularly when you're setting up and you've got a lot to think about, to just let the professional, whether it's the lawyer or your consultant or what have you, just get on with it and let them do all the work and not really properly read it. Because the lawyer should send you a draft. I mean, the way we work is we send clients a questionnaire, which enables us to gather the information to prepare a first draft. We'll then send them a draft and we then will need input on various sections. But it's really important that you read the draft agreement and you understand what's in it. Because when it comes to relying on it, it's vital that you know what's in there. Because time and time again, we get clients come to us with disputes, franchise disputes, and they give us a franchise agreement. They really don't know what's in it. And it's important that you do understand it. So that's quite an important process. And that's going to take a while to draft that agreement. I mean, with a fair wind, you're probably looking at two or three weeks to get that agreement drafted because it's quite a long agreement. You need to put some time into it and there'll be drafts knocking back and forth. So that's kind of the fundamental thing that we get involved in. That generally comes quite late in the franchising process. So if you you think uh, on on a particular day, I think I'd like to franchise my business, you don't really need to worry about the franchise agreement on day one, but you do need to have it in your mind. So you don't want to uh, be literally at the cusp of pushing the button only to find you haven't got the agreement. But it is, it's probably not the first thing you're going to think about. There are some other things to think about as well. Uh, typically, you want to have a confidentiality agreement, which you can use with prospective franchisees. So if somebody wants to learn about your business and they want to go a bit beyond just the sort of marketing materials, you'll want to get them to sign some sort of confidentiality agreement or an NDA, that kind of thing. So you can hand over information, reasonably confident they're not going to then use that and set up their own business to compete with you. And the other thing you want to do as well, which we normally combine with that, if you take a deposit off somebody, you really want to have it written down somewhere what the basis of that payment is. So we'll quite often do a deposit letter slash confidentiality, confidentiality letter as one document. So people know if they're going to give you, I don't know, 1,500 quid as a deposit, in what circumstances they might get it back. So, so that's that's another document to think about. Mm-hmm. The other thing to think about are your intellectual property um, from a legal perspective. Think about particularly your logo. You really need to get that registered at the intellectual property office if you can. So have a think about your IP. There's a lot of copyright in franchising. Things like the operations manual and all the materials, the written materials will have copyright and you can't do anything about protecting that. You can't, well, you can't register it at least anyway. Um, but there are things you can register and in franchising certainly you want to register your your trademark as, as a fundamental thing and even if you don't necessarily think well i don't think it's worth bothering buyers will expect to see it registered so when a buyer comes along and they go to a lawyer with your agreement if you haven't registered your logo um they're going to be asking why because they're going to think well isn't that something they should be doing to yeah. protect the brand generally speaking yeah, as like a standard procedure, you know, why has it not been done, basically? Okay, so, the, I mean, those documents are obviously really key. Now, in terms of, uh, you know, getting that up and going, you say like two to three weeks for that agreement. Now, are you there to help, you know, so, I mean, like you say, you need to understand that that, that agreement um, and, and make sure you go through it. And so, you're there every step of the way, aren't you, to explain bits and pieces if they're not sure? Because, I mean, it, I, I imagine it's quite a daunting process if you want to start franchising your business and you get this agreement of 50 odd pages, you know, and you need to make sure that you understand it all. You're there to explain like the bits and, you know, the certain sections, aren't you? Absolutely. I mean, one of the processes we go through with the agreement 
opportunities. So we'll send out a questionnaire. We'll get the information to prepare a first draft. We'll send that first draft. But what I normally like to do then is to either have a meeting or a Zoom call or something like that to actually go through it. I'd like, I want clients to understand what's in that agreement. Not just the detail about, you know, how much people are paying and all that kind of stuff, but what the clauses all mean. I mean, they don't necessarily need to become a lawyer, but they need to have a reasonable idea about what their rights are. Because the other thing to remember with a franchise agreement is because you just because you have a franchise agreement doesn't mean that um, franchisees won't do things that are wrong. And also, if they do do things that are wrong or in breach of the agreement, you need to remember that you're in the position as a franchisor, you then need to enforce that agreement. Because quite often in franchising, because franchisors have these big agreements, which are hugely long and franchisees sign them, sometimes they automatically, they think that there's automatic protection there, that they don't need to do anything more. Well, the important thing they do, they yeah. need to actually do something about uh, a breach of the franchise agreement. So they need to go back to a lawyer and say, the franchisees breached this, that, and the other, we need to enforce the terms of it. So I think it's really important that franchisors understand what the legal rights are in the agreement so they know what actions they can take if push comes to shove. And also they know, you know, how far to let things go because you're not always going to jump at every single minor breach by a franchisee, but you want to have an idea about where the boundaries are, about, you know, how far to let things go. You want to understand that you can afford to let the odd little thing go, or maybe you'll need to do a warning letter system, but just to understand what your legal rights are. Yeah. And is there any certain sectors in the franchising you know, industry that are particularly more difficult to start setting up as a franchise? I think, generally speaking, the more complicated the nature of the franchise i mean the simpler franchises where you know it's almost a lifestyle franchise where the, the quite low low entry cost not much equipment maybe it's a service you provide from home or over the internet or what have you they're quite they're sort of easier once you start adding in premises and staff and high cost of acquisition they just get it just it does get more complicated i mean there's been Franchises over the years where um, franchisees have had a lot of difficulty in finding the right premises. Yeah. So certain types of franchise are much more difficult to get off the ground for the franchisee yeah. because of the fact that they need a particular type of premises in a particular location. So that is quite a limiting factor. Whereas if you're doing something that you can do anywhere at any time, then as a franchisee, it's much easier to get started, which means that as a franchisor, it's much easier to franchise it and sell it because there's not that many things that need to happen. Yeah. There's not that many things that need to fall into place for the franchisees to be able to kick things off. Yeah, exactly. The, the steps are much more simple to get going and start your business. That uh, you know, at the end of the day, when when you're looking at opportunities, uh, and and obviously a lot of people have done over the last two years, you know, with redundancies, and you know, and working for you know working from home as well. I think it's opened up a lot of people's eyes about what they can do and whether they actually want the two-hour commute. You know to work each day and you know things like that you know they think oh well I could actually set up my business and do various different options etc yeah. so you know setting up um you know a straightforward uh franchise opportunity then those simple but I, I I imagine you know the swimming uh pool industry and, and getting those you know venues and, and and premises is much more harder to like you say get off the ground but it's not 
to say that it can't be done. It's mm. just a few more extra bits to just go through the process. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's great. And I think that's really given, you know, me an insight about how to start that. Uh, and also our listeners as well. Um, obviously, you're on our on our virtual uh, community platform with your virtual space um, you send in your blogs and seminars so the visitors and the listeners can uh, access that information also you know contact you and through your um, website as well so um, thank you so much for this morning um, I look forward to speaking to you soon and uh, take care thanks okay. Stephen thanks okay. bye-bye This podcast was brought to you by Franchise Show 247. For more information, please visit www.franchiseshow247.com. Want to feature in a future episode of the Franchise Show 247 podcast? Click on the link in the bio to find out how you can get involved.